It's Saturday, July the 25th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, American COVID-19 cases hit 4 million and Russia cuts interest rates. First, the week in brief. Florida became the third American state to record more than 400,000 cases of COVID-19. Nationally, the tally has passed 4 million, a doubling in six weeks as cases spike in many states in the South and West. On Friday, more than 1,000 deaths were recorded for the fourth day in a row, the first time that has happened since May. Yet deaths remain well below levels in April when an average of 2,000 people died a day. Russia's central bank cut its benchmark interest rate to a record low of 4.25%. It said more cuts were possible given low inflation and a shrinking economy. The central bank has cut rates four times this year to support an economy whacked by a surge in COVID-19 cases and lockdowns intended to curb the disease's spread. Goldman Sachs agreed to pay $3.9 billion in a settlement to end a legal battle over money misappropriated from 1MDB, Malaysia's sovereign wealth fund. The bank will offer a cash payment of $2.5 billion to the Malaysian government and a guarantee of a further $1.4 billion from the sale of seized assets. In exchange, criminal charges against several Goldman employees will be dropped. America and Britain accused Russia of developing and testing a space-based anti-satellite weapon. The United States Space Command claimed that a Russian satellite, Cosmos 2543, launched a projectile. The Russian Defense Ministry said it was merely testing space equipment. The advent of in-orbit anti-satellite weaponry marks a new stage in the militarization of space. The tit-for-tat game of attrition between Chinese and American diplomatic corps opened a new front. The FBI accused China of harboring an ex-military officer who was wanted for visa offences at its consulate in San Francisco. Soon after, they announced her arrest. Separately, a Singaporean national who had been arrested last November pled guilty to spying for China. Seventy members of the staff at Hungary's foremost news site, the Independent Index, resigned en masse. They had demanded that their editor-in-chief, Szabolcs Dull, be reinstated. He was sacked on Tuesday under pressure, he said, from Index's biggest shareholder. Miklos Vasily, an ally of Hungary's avowedly illiberal president, Viktor Orban, consolidated his 50% stake in March. Bridgewater Associates, the world's biggest hedge fund, warned it will be laying off more staff. It sacked dozens of its 1,580 employees already as its assets shrank by 15% during the first months of the pandemic. Simultaneously, a former co-CEO who disclosed a gender discrimination dispute with the firm sued it for withholding as much as $100 million of her deferred compensation. And editor's note, The Economist is analysing polls together with economic and demographic data to predict America's elections in 2020. Right now, our model thinks Joe Biden has a 9 in 10 chance of beating Donald Trump in the Electoral College. For more details, visit economist.com forward slash US 2020 forecast. And now, here's today's agenda. Early Arrivals – Humans in North America People turned up in North America earlier than was previously thought. 
Or that is what new evidence published this week in Nature suggests. Hitherto, archaeologists thought the continent was first peopled around 16,000 years ago by humans from Siberia who crossed a now-submerged land bridge in the Bering Strait. However, excavations of stone tools in Chiquihuite Cave, high in the central Mexican mountains, have brought this story into question. Using radiocarbon dating of the oldest layers of 46 samples of bone, charcoal and sediment, the authors established that humans occupied the cave 31,405 to 33,150 years ago, with two other periods of human occupation 16,605 to 15,615 and 13,705 to 12,200 years ago. If true, this would shunt the arrival of humans in North America back at least an additional 15,000 years, in effect doubling the known period of human habitation of the continent. A Very Stable Genius, Marie Curie's Film There can be few better subjects for a biopic. Her professional achievements were tremendous. In 1903, Marie Curie won a Nobel Prize in Physics for her study of radiation, becoming the first woman to collect the award. In 1911, she won again, this time in chemistry, for the discovery of the elements radium and polonium, making her the first person to win the accolade twice. Curie's personal life was eventful too. She experienced xenophobia as a Pole in Paris, her husband Pierre died in an accident in 1906, and she was later vilified for having a relationship with a married man. Her frequent exposure to irradiated substances killed her aged 66. Radioactive, a new film adapted from a biography of the Curies, chronicles the triumphs and frustrations of the scientist's life. Through flash-forwards, it reminds viewers of her work's legacy, the basis of modern cancer treatment, as well as atomic bombs. Running out of time, Tenet film delayed. Christopher Nolan's latest science fiction mindbender features secret agents who can reverse the flow of time, a skill which the British writer-director must now wish that he possessed. When cinemas closed in March, Warner Brothers insisted that Tenet would be released only when they were reopened. Other films were postponed or consigned to streaming platforms, but Mr. Nolan's would be on the big screen on July 17th without fail. But in June, the studio conceded that the costly epic could not come out while audiences were staying in. The release date was pushed back to July 31st, then to August 12th. This week, Warner Brothers announced that it no longer had a specific date on the calendar. Tenet may eventually be shown in different regions as and when they become safe from COVID-19. Films used to be released regionally at different times before piracy killed the practice. Now, like Mr. Nolan's secret agents, COVID-19 might be reversing time. The Cape and the Masks – Spanish Bullfighting Restarts Amid the gore and pageantry of the first post-pandemic bullfights in Spain held this week in Avila, the contradiction between bloody spectacles in the ring and health precautions was especially stark. Loudspeakers broadcast frequent reminders that masks were compulsory. In the stands, security teams ensured that a distance of 1.5 metres was maintained between all spectators. The arena's capacity was reduced from just over 8,000 to 2,000. Even then, in these nervy times, some tickets went unsold. 
The event began with a minute's silence for the Spanish victims of coronavirus. This was followed by the national anthem and cries of Viva España, politically charged gestures against the backdrop of separatist claims in Catalonia, which banned bullfighting in 2010. Bullfighting was already struggling in Spain before the pandemic as ticket sales and subsidies dwindled and audiences aged. Fear of the virus may be a bigger threat still to its future. It's coming home. Baseball season restarts. Welcome back, Major League Baseball. The league was due to begin its usual 162-game season in March before the COVID-19 pandemic intervened. After an unseemly row between the team owners and the players' union, a shorter 60-game season was eventually agreed on, which began on Thursday. The abbreviated length of this year's season could create some unpredictability. The high number of games in a regular season is meant to reward skill. It is harder for a mediocre team to sustain a lucky streak over such a long period. But a 60-game season is a different beast. The Los Angeles Dodgers and the New York Yankees, who recently splurged a record $324 million on pitcher Gerrit Cole from under the Dodgers' noses, look the strongest teams on paper. But the smaller number of games and the likelihood that some players will be absent owing to illness means that this year's winners could come from almost anywhere. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Eric Hoffer, who was born on this day in 1898. Wordiness is a sickness of American writing. Too many words dilute and blur ideas. That's it from The Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.